continue this morning in our study of the Word of God and the Hebrew names of God. What a fascinating, illuminating, encouraging time this has been, at least for your preacher, if not for anybody else. I have so enjoyed studying God's nature, who He is, how awesome He is, His attributes, His characteristics. And so today we get to study this very famous name, I would say, of all the names of God, the Hebrew names of God, this one is probably the most well-known, the word shalom. Most of us know that that word is the Hebrew word for peace. Uh, the dynamic equivalent or the corollary for it in the New Testament is a word called irene, and that is the word peace. And both of them had that concept of wholeness, of completeness of the alleviation of worry and doubt and fear and depression and discouragement and despondency and all those other very real, raw emotions that we deal with, when all that ceases and God's peace reigns supreme. And so today, oh God, we honor your name. We worship you, Lord. And we want to study the Word of God and be faithful stewards and handle rightly the Word of God and I just pray that God speaks to your heart today because I am convinced on this Thanksgiving holiday there are those among us who, I tell you, just let the truth be known. Your cup runneth over and you are very grateful today. God is just, it just seems like you're just enormously blessed and favored. Things are just going well for you. And I want you to know, as Paul said in the New Testament, I rejoice with those who rejoice. But on the other hand, or however, certainly during this holiday season, during a time that makes you miss someone that you deeply loved that has departed from this life. Or maybe there is this sense of um, discouragement over a loved one that there's this alienation, there's a separation between you and a friend or a loved one, and somehow the holidays seem to exacerbate that and it may even make it worse. And then some of our military guys are serving overseas in Afghanistan and Iraq and difficult places. And so there's that separation and that heart struggle and tug. And so, the truth be known, the holidays, Thanksgiving, it's, it's a hard time for you. And I'm so glad today that I get to offer a word of encouragement, a word of hope, a word about God's peace. It's just a little over a year ago when our oldest daughter, Hannah, was at Liberty University. And can hardly talk about this without getting a little bit emotional when she called us from an emergency room and they told us that um, our daughter had been in a very bad car accident. Kids were hurt, and, and uh, Hannah picked up the phone, and she, she called us. And, and here's, here's the words that she said. And all we knew that she was in a bad car, car wreck, and she said, Dad, my head hurts, and I cannot feel my legs. I just want you to know as a parent, I hope that never, ever happens to you because all kinds of thoughts race through my mind, uh, head damage and paralysis and those things. And I, I remember very vividly my wife and I, we just grabbed each other and we went to our knees and we began to pray, oh God, would you work a miracle in Hannah's life? God, would you touch her and would you heal her? And Lord, be with the other students who are in this bad car wreck. And, and during that time, some men in our church there at the First Baptist Church in Lavaca, they met down at the church and they gathered around the altar and they prayed to God and they, they asked, oh God, would you touch Hannah and would you heal her? And those men to this day are absolutely convinced that God moved upon our daughter Hannah and he touched her supernaturally so that her, her life today is not only spared, she has no repercussion, she has no residual effects from that uh, car wreck. And, and God showed me something, and I want to share this truth with you. And it is a very powerful truth that I could never have learned except during this crucible of pain. And here's the word God gave me. 
God's peace is everything He said it would be. His peace is everything that He promised. When He said that it surpasses all understanding, He wasn't kidding. And the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And so today, as we open up our Bibles, we're going to get to study the Word of God, the the time where God revealed Himself as a God of peace, as the God, the Lord of of peace. Now, the book of Judges is a fascinating read. I remember my son, Bryant, uh, last year, he was was having to read a, a series of stories, and he asked me, he says, Dad, do you have any recommendations of a book I should read? I said, read the book of Judges. He said, okay. He read it and he came back. He said, Dad, those Israelites were crazy. And he, he, he read it correctly. And they were crazy, just like we are crazy. And here's the cyclical movement of the book of Judges. First of all, it starts off, God's blessing, great things are happening for Israel, and then they turn. They turn away from God, and then the avalanche of difficulty invades their otherwise tranquil lives. I mean, pain and Difficulty, God's retribution because they turn away from God and they invoke God's justice and God's wrath and then they cry out to God. Remember the circle? It goes just like this. They cry out to God. They say, oh God, we're sorry. God, have mercy on us. We are, we are sinful, God. We have forsaken you. God, would you please forgive us? Watch what happens. And God pardons. God forgives and he sends a judge known as the book of Judges. He sends a deliverer. A Deborah. He sends a Gideon. He sends a deliverer who will come and lead them to triumph over their enemies. Only for Israel to do what? To sin against God. And then the cycle continues and it goes on and on all throughout the book of Judges. Well, in this particular episode, in this narrative, in Judges chapter 6, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east are... I mean, they are persecuting Israel, and God is allowing this to happen in retribution, in punitive judgment for for his people's sin. They have turned away from God, and you say, man, you know, Brother Daniel, I have a hard time with God doing that. Why does God do that? Listen, guys, the Bible says God spanks or God chastens those that he loves. If you can sin blatantly, egregiously, sin against God, and you feel no remorse, and you have no hand of God chastising you, you have every right to be concerned. Because <laughs> God loves those He chastens and He disciplines. So let me give you a little bit of the context. Judges chapter 6, verse 1 says this Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Judges 6, 6 says, so Israel was greatly impoverished. You with me? Follow the cycle. Here they go. They're greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. Watch this. And the children of Israel cry out unto God. Now watch this. God's about to raise up a deliverer, a person who is un, I mean, totally ill-prepared, unsuspecting, surprised more than anybody that God would choose him to be the great deliverer of Israel during this most calamitous, difficult time in the nation's history. So we pick it up in verse 11. Look what it says. Now the angel of the Lord came, sat under the terebinth tree which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon. Yes, Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and he said, look at this, don't you love verse 12? The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. 
And Gideon responded, Oh, my Adoni. Isn't that interesting? In our study of the Hebrew word Adonai, it means Lord. He says Adoni, which is for man. He, 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 he just sees this person as a human figure, a man. And he says, Oh, Lord. Little L, little O, little R, little D. Oh, Lord. If, look at verse 13. If the Lord is with us. And boy, Gideon begins to pour out his heart. He is mad, he is hurt, and he is just going to let this stranger have it. Why then has all this happened to us? Why? Where are his miracles, which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us. That's what he's done. Forget the cycle. And he's just quit. He's just forgotten us. He has forsaken us, his own people, and he has delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Verse 14, the dialogue continues. And I love what verse 14 does not say. Verse 14 does not say, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Oh, I'm so sorry. Gideon, come here. Just let me give you a big hug. I'm, I'm so sorry you feel that way. And I, no, it's not what it says. Verse 14, it says, Go. Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Verse 15, so he said to him, Oh, my Adonai. Watch this. Watch the spiritual progression in Gideon's heart. Watch his eyes be illuminated to this figure, this character, this ominous angel of the Lord. He moves from the humanity to the human realm. He moves now into, wow, this person is very special, and he calls him Adonai. Oh, my Lord, Master, he says. How can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Gideon's repeating his resume. It's a resume of weakness. I am not qualified. I am not gifted. I'm not very smart. My dad's not very smart. My family's very small. Our tribe is the smallest in all of Israel. I mean, you've got the wrong guy. Come on, go ask somebody else because I cannot do this. Wrong, wrong guy. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And then he said to him, Don't you love the Bible? In verse 17, Gideon says, Okay, if now I have found favor in your sight, uh, uh, but would, would you give me a sign? Oh, and just, just please give me a sign that I can know that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring you an offering and set it before you. And he said, I will, I love God's patience, I will wait until you come back. And Gideon went. He prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. He put the meat in a basket, the broth in a pot. He brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. Then the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, lay them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand. And he touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire rose from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Kaboom! Miracle! Supernatural! Where God suspends the rational, the empirical, the natural realm, and God superimposes His miraculous will on planet Earth. And some of you today have a problem with that. 
You, you said that transcends the domain of the rational and the empirical of the touch, taste, feel it, hear it, smell it, taste it, sense it, and I have a problem with that. Let me tell you something, friend. If you have a problem with that, you need to get over that because this world is fraught. It is permeated with the supernatural. God is a supernatural God. He can intervene. He can superimpose His will. I mean, come on, if He can speak the world into existence, what's the deal about some fire coming out of a rock? You know what I'm saying? All right, so here it goes. Now, verse 22. Now, Gideon perceived. Ah, it's not a human. This is, this is, this is something. He is the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Oh, Jehovah. Wow, did y'all catch that? He has moved from Adoni to Adonai to Jehovah. Oh, Jehovah, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then, notice verse 23. Isn't this interesting? Not then the angel of the Lord said to him, but the Lord. See, the whole time, God's speaking to him. In the form of this amazing figure, let me go ahead and tell you who I think this person is. I think this is none other than the second person of the eternal Godhead. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is the Lord Jesus before he takes on human flesh in Bethlehem about 2,000 years later. In this mysterious, ominous... Listen, guys, many times throughout the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord comes in this figure and he speaks to humanity. And the Lord said to him... Oh, look at this, church. Verse 23. Shalom. Peace be unto you, Gideon. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and he called it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. To this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Abyssalites. Father, today, we humble ourselves before you. God, we recognize that you are here. And Lord, it's just like you in your mysterious, ominous ways to visit us in, in power, in, in, in ways, Lord, that arrest us unsuspected. And so, Lord, today we invite you. Thank you for visiting us. Thank you, Lord, for the demonstrative worship that we've experienced today. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our hearts cry that our God is greater. Our God is stronger. And if you are for us, O oh God, who can be against us? No one. And so, Lord, today, as we study your name, I pray, God, that there would be an alacrity of our souls. There would be an eagerness, a willingness, that, God, we would just step into your presence, Lord, and not think about tomorrow, not think about going back to work and the things, God, that are facing us, pressing on us. God, we would just enjoy your presence today. You would speak to us. Oh, God, speak to us, please. I beg you to speak. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So number one, we're going to begin talking about this passage of Scripture with the first word of predicament. Number one is predicament. The, the children of Israel are in a bad way. Um, they are in a painful scenario of life. I, I've tried to share with you how the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the East, in fact, the Bible says in verses 1 through 6, it says that they are more numerous. I mean, than, than you can imagine, it says that they are innumerable and they are pressing in upon Israel and they are persecuting them and they are destroying their crops. In fact, in verse 11, 
It is one of the most sad, pitiful plights of humanity that you'll ever read. Let me, let me demonstrate to you what's happening. Gideon, look at the bottom of that verse. He is threshing out his wheat not on the precipice, not upon the top of the mountain where he should have been, but he is in an indention. He is in a carved-out hole in a wine press. They would take their grapes, they would put them in this hole, they would stomp on them, they would smash them, they would have a device that would drain the juice, and they would get their wine. What in the world is Gideon in the wine press? Well, not wine, but why is he there threshing his wheat? That is sad. In fact, he would take his wheat, he would throw it up in the air, but there's no air. There's no wind in the wine press. He, uh, he ought to be up on the mountain. Here's why he's not on the mountain. If he gets up on the mountaintop and he takes his wheat and he beats the wheat, you know, and he's getting the, uh, the, the grain ready, and when he would throw it up in the air, the wind would take away the chaff, it would take away the residue, and the good kernels of wheat would fall to the ground. But the only problem is that there would be a cloud. There would be a... It would look like a cloud of smoke, but it was actually a cloud of wheat. And the Midianites would go, do, 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 there they are, spotted them. And so let's go get them. That's exactly what was happening. So they couldn't thresh their wheat on the mountaintop because they would be spotted. And the Amalekites and the Midianites would swoop down upon them, steal away their wheat, destroy their families. And I'm telling you, their plight, their predicament, it was a bad situation. And that's where they were. And that's where some of you are. <laughs> you ought to be on a mountain. Man, you ought to be praising God and you ought to be in a good way, but you don't find yourself there. You find yourself in a place that God never intended for you to be. You're in a wine press and God wants you up on a mountain and you don't have anybody to blame. Many of you don't have anybody to blame but yourself, just like Israel of old. They had sinned against God. They had incurred God's justice and God's wrath and now they find themselves much like the prodigal son. They're eating pig's food when they could have had a banquet, a cornucopia of food. Let me read it to you in Luke chapter 15. This passage somehow just strangely reminds me of the parable of the prodigal son. Then he went. He joined himself to a citizen of that country, and oh, my word, what a sad plight, predicament. He sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Jewish royalty feeding pigs. What's wrong with this picture? And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Isn't it a sad situation in life when we should be enjoying the favor, the peace, the blessings of God, but because of our own sin, because, listen to me, because of our own rebellion, because of our recalcitrance and our stubbornness and our resistance against God, God turns us over, and we, we reap that which we sow. But there are some here today, you find yourself in a tough way. And you would say, well, Brother Danny, best I know, you know, I, man, I'm trying to walk with God, and I, I, as far as I know, there's not this egregious, blatant sin in my life. I, but man, I tell you, things are tough. I mean, times are hard. I, I just went to the doctor, and the oncology report came back very negative. And I'm, boy, I am struggling now with cancer. And, I, and then I, I found out that my spouse is filing for divorce. And now my, my health is failing. My family's failing. My finances are failing. And I tell you, this is, this is so hard. I find myself in such a plight, such a predicament. Where is God? Where is God's peace? And I'm so glad that you're here today. It could be that 
And God is he's testing you, and man, God is pruning you, and, and God is shaping you, and he's, he's about to reveal something to you that, listen to me carefully, he's about to reveal something to you that is so powerful that you could only receive it in the crucible of pain and suffering. And so today, we look, number one, at the predicament or the plight of, of Israel. Number two is the presence of God. This is so neat how this, this whole paragraph, how, how this narrative turns on. In verse 12, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said these words. <laughs> Look at this, guys. The Lord is with you. To me, that speaks of the presence of God. The Lord is not far from you. He is not in a distant galaxy in a, in a universe somewhere else. No, the eternal, almighty, all-powerful God of Israel, he is he's right here, Gideon. I'm speaking to you, Gideon. Look at me. Listen to me. The Lord is with you. Then he says, oh, Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, you got to be kidding. Man, you got the wrong guy. I'm not a mighty man of valor. I am a nobody. And yet God reminds him, he says, I am here. And I go back in time and I think about that wreck that I was sharing with you at the introduction of this sermon. And, I, you know, Hannah, it, it was so hard. It was so difficult. It's so painful. But guys, in a very mysterious, strange way, I want to read it, repeat it to you again, that God's peace is everything it's cracked up to be. God's presence, God's permeation, God's invasion in the darkness, His light is everything. It is as radiant, as brilliant, as glorious as the Bible says that it is. And when His people, when His children are suffering and we're in a difficult way, I just have to tell you, friend, watch out, look up, because Almighty God, He comes. He comes in times like this. He comes when it's dark and when it's difficult and when you're depressed and when you're discouraged and your life is going from one dead end and detour and dry pit to another. God invades. God intervenes. And he says, hello, I'm here. Whew. I'm present. And I'm going, to take, I'm going to take care of you. And Gideon's like, what? Are you, you're here with, with us? Who, who are you, strange fellow? That's basically what he's saying. Adoni, he doesn't recognize him. Love Deuteronomy, it says. Look, look, I could, the Bible is just replete with these promises of presence. Look at this one. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear. Hmm. You don't need to raise your hand, but who are you? <laughs> I'm just curious. Don't raise your hand. But there are some fearful, trepidating souls here today. And God, in His supernatural, providential will, in His sovereignty, in His grace, He allowed you to be at Great Hills Baptist Church on this Thanksgiving holiday when you're tempted to go to sleep because you ate too much turkey and dressing. Amen. But God won't let you sleep today because He's got a message for you. And the message is stop being so fearful. Don't be dismayed. Here, look, look. Be of good courage. For I, the Lord your God, I am the one who goes not against you, not at you, not ahead of you, not behind. Are y'all with me? I am the God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.8. Joshua, catch this. And the Lord 
He is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. Isn't that amazing? I'm with you. I've already been ahead of you, and now I'm going to take you with me. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Hello? He will not leave you. But my spouse left me. God will not leave you. But my job left me. God's still not going to leave you. But my friends have forsaken me and left me. I'm telling you, God will not leave you. It's based on the authority of the Word of God. God thunders it from heaven. He shouts to you today, I will never leave my own. So stop being fearful. Stop being dismayed. Quit looking at their faces. Quit looking at your lack of finances. Quit looking at your problems. Don't accentuate those problems. Just focus on me. Listen to me. I will never leave you. That's a word from God. That is the word of God. I love this song, Brother Terry. If I had a voice this morning, I'd, I'd try to sing it. No matter the trials I may face, no matter the storms that come my way, you promised that you would see me through. So I will trust in you. So I will trust in you. One more time. No matter the trials I may face, no matter the storms that come my way, you have promised that you would see me through, so I will trust in you. Number three is purpose. We're going to move from the predicament, the plight, and the painful situation to the vicissitudes of life, and, and, and that's where some of you are today. The thing you needed to hear today more than anything else you, you didn't. You needed to hear that God is with you. Friend, let me tell you something. Thank you, Brother Terry, for singing that. If if our God is for us, who can be against us? That's what Paul asked. He goes, if in the rhetorical, is God for you? Yes. Then it's going to be okay. You know, I was sharing. We have a much older crowd in the first service, and I'm going to share with you what I shared with them. You know, guys. I, and it's not to, to, to minimize or to patronize in any way, but for some of you, you know, on this earth, you know, you say, well, I am sick and, you know, I might, I might die. Well, you might die. In fact, one day, if Jesus doesn't come, you're going to die. The mortality rate is amazingly high. Everybody born, everybody dies. But when you know God... And you know Christ, when you die, you go to heaven. Whoa, man, that's awesome. I mean, it, you say, well, you know what? That gives me a little bit of perspective, Brother Danny. I'm so worried and so fearful and so, so down, and I'm looking at all my lack and all my doubt and all my worry, and if God takes me home, then I'm going to heaven. That's not too bad. Amen. That's not. That's an awesome prospect. The presence of God is with you. But in the meantime, you're not dead yet. So i got a few things I want you to do. I've got a purpose for you. And the purpose here in verse, 30, verse 13, before we get up to the purpose, this is the pre-purpose. Look at this. He says, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us. Oh, he begins to, he's, so, he's, he's spitting mad. He's hornet mad. He's, where's God? Where's all the miracles? Where's blah, 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 blah. He's just fired up. He's got some Baptist blood running through him because he can complain, brother. He, I don't know where God and all this. And God's just listening. 
And the angel of the Lord's just looking at him. He said, okay, get it out. Get it out, brother. Get it on out. Just, okay, you feel better? He got it out. He's just so fussy, but he is mistaken theologically. You ever notice that when you complain and when you argue, you're theologically mistaken. And here's his theological mistake in verse 13. He says, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us. Oh, wait a minute. Get in, you're wrong. Jehovah, Yahweh, means the covenant-keeping God of Israel who was and is and will forever be. He invoked the name of God and then gave a contradiction to the very name and definition of God, Yahweh. God's name, Yahweh, means I am always with my people. I chastise my people. I discipline my people, but I never forsake my people. So Gideon's mistaken. If the Lord is with... No, he is with us. So get it out, Gideon, get it out. So he does, he gets it out. In verse 14, here, here's the powerful, revealing verse. God does not answer his complaint or his criticism. Isn't that interesting? He said, Gideon, get busy. <laughs> verse 14, he says, Go in this might of yours. You shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Here's my translation. I am, you go. That's good. I am, be quiet, you go. I am Gideon. I've got a job for you. I've got a plan for you. I've got a purpose for you. And so here it is. You are going to take on the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east. I don't care if they got the number of camels that more than the stars in the heavens and more than the sand on the seashore. And Gideon's going, wait a minute. Me? Inconspicuous, inauspicious, slow, nobody, lowly, humble, me? Listen to his remonstrance. Listen to his debate of the divine. He says, oh, but time out, Lord, I'm a nobody. Amen. Amen. Verse 15, Lord, if you check yet, I live with the people of Manasseh. We are weak. And no look, look, verse 15, I am, are you listening to me? I am nobody. You got the wrong guy. I am the least in my father's house. And what Gideon is doing, what is he doesn't realize, is he is crafting and creating a resume that God is greatly attracted to. <laughs> God's like, I know you're nothing. I know you're a nobody. And just like me picking Moses, an 80-year-old tongue-tied shepherd who couldn't speak very well, and just like God, fast forward to David, the least, the smallest, in fact, David is such a nobody that his own daddy, Jesse, doesn't invite him to the party to pick the king. I mean, he's out and he's just, he's clueless. I'm just out here with the sheep, you know. I'm nobody. God's never going to use me because I'm the smallest and the weakest and the inconspicuous one. I'm a nobody one. And it's yet it's God chooses those people. He looks at those people and he goes, you're the people I want. You know why he chooses those people? Because when the blessings come, those people say, it was God and not me. That, that's a great spiritual truth. 1 Corinthians 1 validates this. The cross of Jesus validates this. It's in the small, in the despised, in what the world would pass over, in what kings and dignitaries and royalties would not give a second glance. It is those very people God chooses. Hey, Gideon, you're mine. And I'm going to use you in an awesome way. So saddle up your horses, buddy. You're going for a ride. And he does. Gideon has his purpose. In verse 16, I'm going to be with you, and you're going to defeat the Midianites 
as if you were just one man. You know the story. You remember? Gideon gets his army together, 32,000 strong. And uh, God says, ah, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the size of this army for just a minute. And I can see Gideon, okay, Lord, what, what's, what's up? Oh, yeah, this, this army's too big. And Gideon's going, <laughs> Lord, you got a divine sense of humor, don't you? What do you mean too big? I mean, I, I need about, about 800,000 more to add to this 32,000. And God says, no, that's too big. Let's pare this thing down to about 10,000. Okay, <laughs> that's funny. What do you mean 10,000? We're going to get killed. We'll be annihilated. And God says, I'm not through. Be quiet. Why don't we just narrow it on down to about 300? Wow. 300. 300 measly Israelites are going to go and attack. And they did. And they attacked the Midianites. And God gave a great victory. And Gideon was the one leading the charge because he was God's man fulfilling God's purpose for this time in the life of Israel. Now, here it is. Within this context of predicament and, 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 and God intervening and God selecting his man and God giving him a purpose, right in that milieu, right in that, in the very historical context of difficulty, God reveals himself as the God of peace. And let's, I, you know, we've already read verses 17 through 21. We talked about that. He got the sign by the consuming, the offering that Gideon prepared. But look at verse 23. Then the Lord said unto him, And the Lord said unto the soul that was struggling at Great Hills Baptist Church on this 28th day of November 2010, Listen to me. I got three words for you. Shalom unto you. Peace be to you. Number two, do not fear. And number three, you shall not die. You just receive that. You just spiritually ingest that into your shattered soul today. May the peace of God overshadow you. Would you just receive it now, just the peace of God? Hear the voice of God say, stop being afraid. And then hear Jesus say these awesome words in the Gospel of John. Peace I leave unto you. My peace... I give unto you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. My peace is not as the world gives unto you. Look at it. Let not your heart be troubled today, neither let it be afraid. I give you my peace. You know, guys, I, I am the most dangerous for God when I'm operating in the peace of God and the purpose of God. I can do great and wonderful things for God. But when I'm tucked away in my fear and in my human inadequacies and I'm reminding God of how small I am and how nobody I am and I'm not the prettiest or the smartest or the tallest or the brightest, blah, 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 you know, just vomit it on out. I'm just a nobody. God, God just comes down. I wonder if God just wants to shake us and say, would you stop? Hey, boo, listen to me. I'm God. I don't make mistakes. I chose you. I've saved you. The blood of Jesus has cleansed you. The Spirit of God has baptized you. I've equipped you. I've given you wonderful, awesome gifts. Get going. Get out there, boy, girl. Let's go. That's a word for somebody today, and I don't know who it is. Maybe you'll email me this week and say, mm, Brother Danny, I'm the person. Thank you very much. And I'll go, well, thank you. 
Some of you email me, oh, Brother Danny, you're an idiot. Why'd you talk to him? No, you don't want to do that. I'm an idiot. Uh, here it is. Is it on the screen? Am I the only one that can see it? Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep him in perfect what? Whose mind is fractured, worried, convoluted. No. Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. One more. We're almost done. Look at this one. Be anxious but for a few things. Is that what it says? Don't be anxious about anything. Ooh. But in everything, pray about it with thanksgiving and let your request be made known to God and the irene of God that surpasses all understanding will ferrazzo you. That's a wonderful military verb there. Will guard. It means to post sentinels, to post the military cohorts around the perimeter of your heart. And God is protecting you and he's He's, he's securing you, and he's not going to let your enemies overwhelm you because you are, you're, you're trusting in him. He will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Well, let me, let me show you this. Pauline Jacoby, let me, let me show you this. 92 years of age, goes to Walmart, and as she gets out of Walmart, she gets into her car. Things get real interesting. Let's, let's watch it. Let me show it to you. A woman about to be mugged in the parking lot of a Walmart turned things around on her would-be attacker. Without a gun, without pepper spray, she protected herself. I was lucky enough to meet Pauline Jacoby in Dyersburg. She told me about the powerful words that saved her and could possibly save her attacker, too. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins. 92-year-old Pauline Jacoby reads her Bible every day. Her strong faith keeps her going in life and in the process may have saved it. Jacoby had just finished putting away her groceries inside her car at a nearby Walmart. Only seconds after Jacoby got into her car, a man jumped in the passenger side. The man told Jacoby he had a gun and that he would shoot her if she didn't give him money. I said, no. I'm not looking in my money. Jacoby told him no three times. Then she started to talk to him. You know, as quick as you kill me, I'll go to heaven and you go to hell. She told him to ask God for forgiveness. I said, Jesus is in this car and he goes with me everywhere I come. And, uh, <laughs> he just started looked around, and the tears began coming in his eyes. Jacoby ministered the man for 10 minutes inside her car. And he said, I, I think I'll go home and pray tonight. I said, you don't have to wait tonight. Yes, you can just pray anytime you want to. As tears were rolling down the man's face, Jacoby voluntarily gave him all the money she had. Ten dollars. And when I told him I was going to give him the money, I said, don't you spend it on whiskey either. <laughs> the man thanked her for the money, and then... He kissed kiss me on the cheek. <laughs> and walked away. He walked away. Well, Jacoby's story has caught national attention, and we've gotten so many calls and emails from church leaders who want to show her story 
to their congregations in order to teach others how to minister. Jacoby's story also aired on the Today Show. They tried to get her to come to New York for a visit. Too humble to take credit, Jacoby said, no thank you. She says she prefers spreading the word right here at home. One of my favorite parts is Jesus is in this car with me, and the robber looks, he looks in the bag, you know, where is he, you know? You know, Michael's God's presence is always with his people. It doesn't matter where we are, what we're going through, how difficult it is, how painful the divorce is, how empty our bank accounts are, how lonely we are as single adults during the holidays, how hard it is to get older and not to have our abilities we once had. Listen, God's peace, God's presence, God's purpose is still in your life. One of the things I enjoy doing, not as a pastor, in fact, I try not to tell people I'm a pastor because I don't want them to think I'm doing this because I'm a pastor. But I love to carry my little, my little booklets with me. If anybody knows me just a little bit, they'll know that somewhere on his body, Brother Danny will have a little track that says, Steps to Peace with God. And it's the little track that Billy Graham wrote uh, years ago, and I carry them with me. In fact, over the holidays, I had one with me, and uh, we were visiting uh, Ashley's family. And um, when you got a big family and a little house, somebody has to stay in a hotel. So we stayed in the hotel and used our points, amen, and they had a nice little gym to go work out. And guys in my small group, accountability group, guess what? I worked out the day after Thanksgiving. You should, be, you should be proud. I was down there working out. Me and this guy, 64-year-old Vietnam veteran, he's running on the treadmill, and he's looking at me, and he starts, he starts talking to me. And I'm like, you know, I'm just looking around. And he's cussing, and he's mad, and he, something about America and Korea, and we can't let people walk over us, and I fought in Vietnam for this. And so I just, the Lord just gave me boldness and I I stood up put my five pound dumbbells down you know and, and, and really and I walked over to him and I said I stuck my hand out just like that and he's on his treadmill and he straddles it you know how you straddle it and it's, it's still going you know and he's, he's looking at me and I said I shook his hand I said sir you fought in Vietnam he said I did I said you are a patriot you're a veteran and I just want you to know I, I appreciate you he says, well, who he said, what service did you serve in? I, I said, I'm not military. He says, you're not military? That's what he told me. He said, I sized you up as a military man or a police officer. And I went, okay. You know, and I said, I said, why? And he says, well, you just look like you're a real disciplined fella. And I said, well, actually, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher of the gospel. He said, really? I said, yeah, I am. And I and I, I just, I love the Lord. And in fact, let me, let me show you something real quick. And so by that time, he's off the treadmill and he's working out and we're talking about the, everything. And then he, I, I gave him a steps to, steps to peace with God. And here's how it went. I said, sir, I want you to take this. <laughs> and uh, I think this will really bless you and encourage you. And uh, Six foot four, retired police officer in Oakland, California, fire department. I mean, the deal. He may be 64 years of age. This guy's still large and in charge. And I, and I gave him that tract, and then, and this is what I said. And I, sometimes God just does this to me. I said, do you mind if we prayed before you left? He, he said, pray? I said, yeah, let's, let's pray. And the people in the pool, 
there are people in the pool, and it's just me and him in the little gym. And I can't imagine what the people in the pool, you know, just looking at us like we are crazy. There's a six foot four, five foot four guy in there. Their heads are bowed, his hat is off. And I prayed for him, and this is what I prayed. God, thank you for this patriot. Thank you for this Vietnam veteran. It's an honor to meet him. And Lord, if he does not know you as his personal Savior and Lord, I pray that he would come to know Jesus Christ this very day. In Jesus' name I pray. Tears in his eyes. He thanked me, and he left. Here's what the track says. Because I saw him. He opened it up. It says, God loves you. Ain't that sweet? God loves you. Number two, you have sinned against God. You have done things, said things you should not have done. Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Number three, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He bridged the eternal gap between holy God and sinful man. And Jesus Christ, with his blood shed as an offering for sin, he died, he was buried, God exonerated him, God vindicated his claim to deity, God the Father raised him from the dead. Jesus Christ is alive and he will forgive you and cleanse you and make you right with God if you'll believe on his name. That's what the Steps to Peace with God shares. I'm so proud of my church and I invite people wherever I am. I don't care if I'm in Austin or I'm about to go to Orlando. I'll still invite them to Austin. I'll say, come, you have, next time you're flying through Texas, come visit us at Great Hills. You look on the back of the track and it's got Great Hills Baptist Church, and it's got our website and a map and all that stuff. And so, um, I don't know what your plight is. I don't know what your predicament is. But this much I know, God is present. He has, a, he has an awesome plan and a purpose for your life. If you'll turn from your sin and, and, and Walk away from that lifestyle and say, God, please forgive me. God, please help me to do this. I turn away from this. And God, I embrace what you have for me. And then, listen to me, then you will begin to experience the peace of God. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Let's pray together with your heads bowed and your eyes closed as we move into a time of invitation. Father, I thank you for each person that is here today. I thank you, Lord, most of all. God, in your amazing sovereignty, that God, you allowed us during this Thanksgiving holiday when peace is in short supply for many hearts, for us, God, to be able to preach on and teach on Jehovah Shalom, the Lord whose very name is peace. God, thank you that you bridged the gap. God, that you come to us when there's no way that we could reach up to you. And Lord, I thank you for each person that's here today. And God, wherever they may be on the continuum of spirituality, Lord, some very embryonic, just starting out. God, just little signs of faith. Lord, would you meet them? God, would you speak to them? Draw them, Lord, into intimacy with you. Reveal yourself to them. For others, Lord, who have been walking with you for some time, and Lord, they may be in a, in a difficult way. Lord, they may be just crying out, God, help me. God, speak to me. God, don't leave me. Don't forsake me. God, would you speak to them? Would you encourage them today? I pray, Lord, that the very fact that this message was preached would be a sign, would be a conspicuous billboard spiritual sign saying, I do love you. Of all the sermons that preacher could have preached, he preached on my name is peace for you today. Lord, thank you for the little booklet, Steps to Peace with God. I pray, Lord, 
For those that are here, whether they're listening live stream or whether they're going to be downloading this on a podcast or Vimeo or, Lord, whether they're going to be watching this very broadcast on KVU, Lord, I pray right now that you would draw them into relationship with you. That, God, they would, they would sense and know that, Lord, their sins are not so great that they are forever hopeless. But, Lord, they would see you, God, as a God of grace, a God of love, yes, a God of justice, a God who has paid the price. All we have to do is believe. If we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in our hearts, God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, I pray that would happen many, many times over today. And every time people watch this broadcast, Lord, people would come to you and believe on you. So, Lord, we want to pray now for our invitation that when we stand, Brother Terry leads us, that, Father, there would be a freedom among our people. They would come to the altar and they would lay down their burden. Father, what a great privilege it is to see people go to the altar and, and then to see our people respond and go, lay a hand on their shoulder. Lord, Lord, I'm going to ask you today that when those who weep come forward, then those, Lord, who are not weeping would also come forward. And that those, Lord, who are not weeping would weep with those who weep. And that those, Lord, who are just doing great, amen, hallelujah, God, I am grateful for them today. I, Lord, I thank you for their good health. I thank you for their good bank accounts. I thank you, Lord, for their good relationships. And I, I thank you for the peace, God, that they're enjoying. And now, Lord, I'm going to ask you, may they share that with somebody else. And somebody else, Lord, who's not in a good way, in a predicament, needing your presence, needing your purpose, needing your peace. God, use us today. Use us even now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? God bless you as you come, as you do business with the Lord today. Terry, if you lead us, God bless you as you come.